Hello, hello, y'all. Hey, it's me, Robin. And before we get into today's episode, I'm here to let you know that the club is open right now for new members. I'm going to take a couple minutes to fill you in on all that the club is offering right now. So if you know for sure you're not interested in joining the club, you're just going to want to hit the forward button a few times until you hear that baffling behavior show jingle. Okay, so the club is a virtual community for families of kids with vulnerable nervous systems and big baffling behaviors. Many families in the club are parenting kids with a history of complex trauma, but definitely not all. Some are parenting kids with vulnerabilities that emerge from their neurotype or their sensory system or their giftedness or their neuroimmune disorder. And of course, some have no idea why their child's nervous system is so vulnerable. The primary purpose of the club and why I've created it the way that I have is connection and co-regulation. Because when I reflect back on my time as a therapist, it wasn't the skills and strategies and tools and techniques I taught parents that mattered the most. What mattered most was how connection and co-regulation strengthened their owl brain so that they could stay more regulated in the face of the chaos in their home. Then they could, number one, actually use the tools, and number two, start to feel a little bit better even before the tools started to work. The club can be accessed online both through your browser on your computer and through an app. And it's open, of course, 24-7. There's a very active forum, a huge video library, and multiple live events every month. Sometimes I teach a masterclass on a specific topic. Sometimes we come together for group coaching or just to ask questions and pick, pick my brain. We have two sessions every month called Connect and Co-Regulates, and those are designed to offer exactly that. There's no teaching, no coaching, just a place for you to be seen and heard by people who get it. Currently, we are also offering once a month bonus sessions for siblings of dysregulated kids. The club is intended to be kind of like a buffet. There is a ton in it, not because you're supposed to do everything in the club. You take what you need when you need it and come back when you're ready for more. If you could use a little extra support, consider joining us. You can read all about all the details over at robingobel.com slash the club. I'll put a link in the show notes And we're open today until the end of the day, Friday, May 3rd. All right, y'all. Here's that episode you're waiting for. Hey, y'all. Welcome. Or maybe it's a welcome back to the Parenting After Trauma podcast. I'm your host, Robin Goebel. And together, you and I are taking the science of being relationally, socially, and behaviorally human. And we're making it make sense so that it could actually be useful in your real life. Today, I'm so excited. We are connecting with the amazing Dr. Mona Delahook, who shares a very similar passion of mine to take the science of the autonomic nervous system and make it useful and applicable for both parents and educators. Y'all, this interview is such a treat. I cannot wait for you to hear from Dr. Delahook. 
This podcast is a place for parents of kids with big behaviors and the therapists, helpers, educators, humans who support them. A place for these grownups to feel seen and known and gotten and understood and maybe to actually get some useful ideas about a how to help your kid. Y'all know that this is not a fancy podcast and who knows, maybe one day I'll hire a producer, do more editing, have some good intro and outro music. I don't know. But for now, I just press play and go. If you need more support after listening to this episode, you'll want to head over to my website because I have a lot of ways you and I can be connected, including a free masterclass on what behavior really is and a free ebook on the brilliance of attachment. Just head to robingobel.com slash free resources. I also have an online community that's comprised of, seriously, y'all, the most amazing parents on the planet. We call ourselves The Club. The Club is a space for parents to get the connection, co-regulation, and of course, a little education that y'all need to keep making it through the overwhelming, exhausting, and no end in sight days of parenting a kid with big, baffling behaviors. The club welcomes new members periodically, so head over to my website and get on the waiting list. The next time the club opens the doors, it'll be in the next few months, I'm sure. Um, There's so many new and amazing things that are happening over in what we're calling our brand new clubhouse. We'd love to share it with you. So robingobel.com slash the club to get yourself on the waiting list. Okay, so in today's interview with Dr. Delahook, you're going to hear about the three things she always takes into consideration when supporting a child with behavioral challenges. One, the child's autonomic state. Two, their developmental stage. And three, their own individual unique needs. But more than practical tips, what I'm actually most excited for you to hear from Dr. Delahook is just how much compassion she has for the parents of kids who struggle. This episode is releasing on March 15th, 2022, which is when Dr. Delahook's newest book, Brain Body Parenting, becomes available to purchase wherever books are sold. You'll, of course, be able to hear about that book in the chat that we have and then find links to grab yourself a copy of that book. But again, you can find it wherever books are sold. So without any further ado, let's get into this really fun conversation that I had with Dr. Delahook about brain body parenting. Dr. Delahook, welcome. Thank you. I'm super excited you're here. Super excited to just share you with my audience and, and share them with you. So thanks so much for being here. Excited to be here. Thanks, Robin. Yeah. Well, I want to make the assumption that the vast majority of our, my listeners, um, are either at least somewhat familiar with your work, um, or familiar with like what drives your work, but even still, I'd love for you to just introduce yourselves to everybody listening, kind of who you are, what you do, um, yeah, tell us, tell us what's going on with you. Ah, well, um, that's pretty cool. If anyone's heard of my work before, <laughs> I'm sure they have, you know, I heard of your work back when so many people did, right. Which was when 
um, you, the, your blog about ODD, about oppositional defiance disorder oh, kind yeah. of hit. So that's probably five or six years ago. And sort of that's, you know, I was like, oh my gosh, here's somebody talking about these things. And now I can print these articles oh. and send it to my clients. Um, so I'm positive. So many people listening have, you know, run across your work before, but just again, for the people who haven't tell that's us about so you. Cool. Yeah, that did. That was a viral blog post. I, it yeah. could have been almost nine years ago now. It was oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> uh, before I, yeah, I think so. But that just, okay. So that idea yeah. that there's more going on than straight oppositional defiance was yes. part of, um, a long series of realizations I made starting from um, the 1990s when I was in practice uh-huh, and uh-huh. I was also involved in a really um, just the cutting edge movement here in LA, a bunch of people who were uh-huh. studying interpersonal neurobiology. There were a bunch of folks around here. There was Alan Shore, there was yep. Dan Siegel, there was Connie yep. Lillis. And I was in those original study groups um, looking at like, okay, here is information about the nervous system Uh and here is where our culture is. Here's where our education system is. Here's where a lot of psychology is looking at behaviors as the target and not a signal, Mm -hmm. a valuable, valuable signal as to what's going on underneath uh, you know, underneath the hood, so to speak, like what's going on in a child's body. And so long story short is I had a colleague who had twins. We were, we (laughs) had kids around the same time. She had twins and one of them had uh, difficulties with his autonomic nervous system. He, his autonomics were off. (laughs) And, um, so she contacted, the expert on infant autonomics way back when, before he had written any books, Dr. Uh-huh. Stephen Porges. Uh-huh. And he was a neuroscientist that was looking at the autonomic nervous system and yes. finding out really interesting things about how it impacted emotions and behaviors. Yes. So I was able to follow his work um, while I developed my private practice with a new lens because I became an infant and toddler mental health specialist. And in LA back then there weren't, uh, there wasn't one. And so I think I kind of became it. And it was, it was like the beginning of this most amazing, um, ride where I really kind of had to retrain myself from cognitive behavioral techniques, which is what I was trained in and what Mm -hmm. most people in my field are trained in and looking at the whole child, the whole person. And that ODD post happened after I realized that uh, I was witnessing a lot of children, in fact, being misunderstood and having a lot of stress and anxiety from the very systems that are meant to help them. Yes. And that really started my writing. And that's, and now I'm on my third book. <laughs> yes. So your third book coming out today, the day that this podcast episode is airing and it's brain body parenting. So tell us about brain body parenting. Yeah. So brain body parenting, um, the subtitle is how to stop managing behaviors Mm-hmm. and how to uh, start raising joyful, resilient kids. So I'm really putting it out there that behaviors are 
so valuable. We don't have to fear them. We don't have to worry about our child getting a label. Um, The first thing we need to understand about parenting is that our children's nervous systems are so, um, are so instructive. And it really, the, the parenting tool or technique that you use is less important than where it lands in your child, where it lands in their nervous system. And so I've integrated several theories now into my understanding, including the polyvagal theory, Mm -hmm. uh, but others as well to help parents reframe. And, you know, parents, I, I like, I am so, in a community with you right now, I just read uh, a, a couple new studies that came through my desk today on how much anxiety and depression parents and caregivers are experiencing because we've gone through global toxic stress and and or trauma. <clears throat> so I'm hoping this book will also bring a glimmer of hope to help us understand that we can reconstitute our brains constantly updating its models and its predictions. And I just want to help parents. I just kind of wanted to um, set the record straight on, I think, what the latest neuroscience is, because new stuff's happening every day, and we just want to sort sort through it and not get cut off on the details, but, but look at the big picture. How do we develop resilience? How do we get through hard times with so much suffering and help our children thrive? How do we help them become more flexible yeah. and more vibrant essentially after all we've gone through. So that's kind of in a nutshell, brain body parenting. I wrote it during the pandemic and I'm really excited to put it out there now today. Yes. Today. I can't (laughs) wait to get my hands on it. You know, even as you're talking, I'm noticing myself just like take like a bigger breath, right? That's like, you know, if we behaviors are giving us really important information, it's certainly, I'm never asking people to ignore behavior, but if we can just like, like look at it, like this little clue for me, it's just like this, it's relieving like, Oh, I, we can go, we, we don't have to get hung up on that. And really, I was just noticing, like, even as we were talking, like even myself, just getting this breath of like shifting into something that feels a little bit more easeful. It's not easier. I don't mean to say that just easeful. I like self. I'm a parent too. Um, Oh, I'm glad you felt that because that's what is going to help us is taking that breath. And as a parent, I'm sure, you know, I experienced it all the time is that when my child especially did behaviors that were scary to me or confusing or super agitated, I'd be like, oh my gosh, I need to nip this in the bud, or I need to do something. I need to increase my discipline and and my children are older. So this was, you know, this is before I was using a, a more holistic model, but I have such empathy for parents. It's such a freaking hard job. And we, we, we really, we're told, um, that we have to be author, you know, authoritative yet loving and warm. Well, okay. That's, that's a little vague. I think (laughs) I was that, but I, (laughs) but I, you know, 
if we can take a breath, first of all, and understand that we are the most important tool in the toolbox. Yes. Our nervous system, our bodies, our brains are the tool. We can't build a relationship if we are chronically running on empty. And I don't mean to say that to stress us out, like, uh uh-oh, I'm running on empty. What am I doing wrong? No, it's more like you matter. Yeah. You matter, mama. You matter, dad. You matter. Your well-being matters. And um, let's, let's see if we can now take a big, deep breath. Hopefully, um, now we'll have a little bit less of a worldwide fear of death <laughs> that yes. we've lived with for a couple of years and start to exhale more and more. No kidding. Yeah. I mean, even as you're still talking, I'm just like, it's been a busy day for me too. So having this moment of like, okay coming into connection with me, coming into connection with you. And it's, it's not even until you have those moments, right? Those like kind of funky moments, which you're like, oh, I haven't done this yet, yet today. Yes. Yeah. I think that it's kind of our default to, to run on empty. I mean, yeah. with, with it's, if parenting is just so complex. And then if you add running a household, yeah. which still, I think, oh, the research continues to show that moms do more of the work. Can't mm-hmm. believe, but decades later, it's still mm-hmm. showing that, especially mamas, like we were carrying so much. And then think about the amount of people who have worked from home for so long. I mean, right? Come on, yeah. this is <laughs> yeah. So breathing and um, realizing. I think that's, I did devote a whole chapter to. I self care is the wrong word. I think. Yeah, it's I agree. Just life support, right? Life support system. You know, we, we need to put ourselves on that nurturing system of supporting our own lives because of this whole idea of co-regulation, you know, when we share our calmness with another human, unfortunately, it's kind of hard to fake that for yeah. a long time. You can fake it for a while and heroes parents are because I know I tried to fake it when I couldn't make it. And, but, but for after a while, your kid's going to notice, you're going to notice, you're going to just go into that zone where you're so, so depleted or you're so hyper. You can't stop. You're like a whirling dervish. Yes. And I think we can all, we can all relate because we've all been in those States this, these past few years. And now we're maybe coming into some regulation, some calmness and some clarity as to what really matters. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I want to ask you if you, because I have a feeling this might be what some of the listeners are thinking, like, I'm going to ask a question that I'll qualify for you. If you've ever run across a behavior where you feel like, "Mm, no, this model of the autonomic nervous system and really understanding behaviors through that lens, just really, it doesn't apply. And the reason I'm asking, so the qualifier is that the families and then, and the helpers who are helping these families to tend to tune into this podcast are, you know, tend to be parenting kids who have had really terrible things happen to them, usually in relationship, right? So they've experienced abuse or neglect and we've either been able to help that family stay together, or we've unfortunately had to have those children live in different 
safer, theoretically safer families. Yeah. And yeah. you know how that contributes to, you know, the, the words that I use so often, because these are the words that parents are telling me they're words like baffling, bizarre, yeah. confusing. Like this doesn't even make sense. Like those are the, that's the language that I hear parents saying to me so often. And so I'm just guessing that there are some people listening that are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This autonomic nervous system thing makes total sense. But what about, you know, X, Y, Z behavior? So what do you think? Yeah. Like, do you think there's behaviors that would fall outside oh. this lens, this paradigm? That's such a good question. And let's unpack it a little bit. Cause I think there's different layers. I love mm-hmm. thinking about this because I think sometimes, um, when we try to put everything in the box of like, this is the autonomic nervous system. Um, It's kind of like, then you start to see everything from a certain viewpoint and you're not opening it, the aperture wide enough because humans are so complex. So let me just say that um, the, I, I hold three things in mind when I'm looking at very confusing behaviors in a child or teenager. Those three things are, of course, the pathway of the physiology, the child's Mm -hmm. physiology. Mm -hmm. And I, I use three colors, red, blue, green, and variations thereof that are, um, that are, that uh, Dr. Porges okayed as a a nice model for the autonomic nervous system. So, so I look at, of course, look at our physiology, ours and our child's, but then there's two big other areas that we need to look at. The, the two areas are the person's social and emotional development. Where are they in that house of social and emotional development? And then the third one is those child's unique needs, their individual differences. So when you hold all three of those together, then I'd have to say that I could make sense of most behaviors. And let's think of an example. Um, Because when we, you know, when you have a behavior that is so that looks so purposeful, and looks so like I am, I am going to, I am going to make your life really hard right now. Mm-hmm. That's how it feels to the parent, right? Mm-hmm. When the child is doing something that is so egregious and they know is against the rules, for example, mm-hmm. which happens to a lot of our foster kids. It happens to a lot of our kids who with trauma histories. And it doesn't look overtly dysregulated, right? Like I find even though the super dysregulated behaviors are very, very, very challenging, it almost is easier to say like, well, clearly that child was so dysregulated. No thinking brain was online, but yeah, like some parents, of course, are dealing with these behaviors. It's just like you said, they look super deliberate. They look very well thought out. And I'm not even saying they're not well thought out that like, yeah, there right, is right. absolutely some, right. you know, very thoughtful intentionality um, behind yeah. some behaviors like lying, you know, manipulation, those right. types of breaking things the rules. for sure. Yeah. 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 Yep. And so here's where we need to understand that uh, not all behaviors uh, that are uh, what we would consider troubling are under the red pathway. Not all of them are in the fight or flight response. Mm-hmm. But how do we understand them? Two two things helps me understand them. Number one um, is when you 
when you consider neuroception and the mm-hmm. subconscious mm-hmm. detection of threat or safety, yes. um, the invisible causes of behaviors can be so subtle. It can be yes. an odor. It could be a certain um, pitch or frequency of a sound that triggers a subconscious detection of threat that could be from the, from this individual's infancy or childhood that's lodged inside of a a body memory that that would create a behavior that looks pretty interesting and non-contextual. In other words, Mm -hmm. doesn't fit the context and it doesn't fit the way you've raised the child or your family values or how much love you've given that amazing child. So that's one idea. The second idea comes from the people that I have interviewed who have had those traumatic histories Mm -hmm. and who have been really acting out a lot in high school or in middle school and maybe have been labeled with those psychiatric disorders or sent away to those um, camp, you know, behavior camps and, mm-hmm. and things like that. We're talking like even uh, short-term psychiatric hospitalizations, like big deal things where they look and appear to be so defiant and manipulative even. Mm-hmm. Here's what they've told me. When your default system is to not trust other humans. And generally those early, um, those early insults happen in those first few years of life. Let's just say a child is taken away from their family of origin because of abuse or neglect. Let's just say there is a foreign adoption whereby we don't know what that human brain and body went through. The brain begin, the, our brains wire themselves to the environment. This is not the person's choice. This is a default. So you may have a child that you get at age five or six, but their brain uh, has wired itself to that environment. And in order to survive, certain coping strategies were were, uh, maintained by the child. And uh, and, And those were protective. What happens after a while when the child is told over and over again that they are a bad person and that they're choosing to be bad when they're, you know, five, six, seven, eight, or given a a label Mm -hmm. like um, conduct disorder, is that because they're early in their social emotional development, they begin to believe that about themselves and they will begin to tell a story that they are and they're going to show the world that they are that way. And so they begin to live out a narrative that has some of its origins in subconscious trauma. And this is why trauma work is so hard. And we, this is why so many of our foster children get um, returned to different placements or, or their well-meaning incredible parents can't keep them because they continue to break their rules. So I hope that this, this, uh, this kind of idea that there it's complicated and that individuals do begin to do things volitionally or on purpose and may even be manipulative, Mm -hmm. but the origins can still be found in developmental trauma. And this is in line with the thinking of some of the, the great trauma folks out there, you know, like Bessel van der Kolk and, 
and Bruce Perry. It's complicated. And, and I just encourage families, again, if you can look beyond the behaviors, these, these protective adaptive behaviors that our culture uses as, as um, misbehaviors and even sometimes really wrong things to do yeah. have to do with helping a person predict that they are safe. And that takes years. It doesn't take days. It takes years of those messages of safety that can sink into the cells of our vulnerable humans. And um, just blessings to everybody who is working with these folks because they are, they are vulnerable humans. They're vulnerable brains. And they sometimes are not easy to connect with. I wanted to pause the episode real quick and read you this testimonial from one club member. This person writes in, the club has been life-changing for me. For me, feeling alone in the stress and the overwhelm of parenting a child with complex trauma has been traumatic. Here in the club, we are finding healing for ourselves by feeling seen and heard and validated, even though we may have come here for our children's healing. Oh, y'all, that is exactly what I'm trying to do in the club, to create a space that's for you that also brings healing to your kids. So the club's open for new members until April 28th. We'd love to have you. RobinGobel.com slash the club. All right, let's get back to the episode. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's, you know, I think it's been so helpful. I know to me as a professional, I was a young professional and I was like, um, I have no idea what I'm doing and I'm actually getting hurt at work. This can't be good. I've got to go like something's not right here. And so I went searching, 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 searching. And of course this is what their parents are doing, right? Like something's not right here. And so, you know, starting to stumble upon some of this information. And my first introduction was like Dr. Dan Siegel's work. And then from there found Dr. Porges's work and all these other Dr. Perry's work and all these other pieces that fit together. Like, okay, okay. I get it. It's starting to make sense. I understand where these behaviors are coming from, but if we're not careful, it feels like there could almost be this like, well, just is what it is sort of feeling, yeah. which is of course not where you or I are coming. I mean, I wouldn't be able to do this work if that, if that was the conclusion, I would have had to find a new job a long time ago because it's just, it would just be too hard. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so let's go there next. So we can yeah. see there, you know, we can reconceptualize their behaviors, be really thinking about neuroception and safety, and then in to understand their behaviors. And then what do we do? Yeah. Yeah. So this is where I think, um, I think I moved the needle forward a little bit and beyond behaviors and Uh probably why it's become fairly uh, popular outside of any marketing efforts is that (laughs) I added the aspect of social and emotional development. So Interpersonal neurobiology talks a lot about the brain, but the DIR model, uh, Serena Serena Weider and Stanley Greenspan, who were, um, Serena was my mentor in development. We have to understand how humans 
develop the ability mm-hmm. to uh, feel um, feel remorse for their for their actions yes, and build yes. bridges between their ideas and other people. Our traumatized children and our children who've uh, had toxic stress or haven't had the ability to work through these social emotional processes won't have the architecture. Mm-hmm. And so that's the set, that's the what then is we go back to building the house of social and emotional development and we go to the earliest challenge we can find. So we look at all the steps. Number one, um, the the regulatory attentional abilities of the child look at the physiology look at their their colors are they how what how much time are they in the green red and blue if they're 80 percent of the day in the red or blue then we work on getting them more green we work on that ventral vagal state okay so the second one is engagement and um pleasure in relationships mm-hmm. is that present can this person have joy with another human and trust them So we asked about that. If not, we start there, you know, and oftentimes we're going to be doing the first two at the same time because our physiological regulation is built through trust. And for our individuals who didn't have that trusting attunement from somebody responding to our needs appropriately, that's going to be all over the map for a while until there's a a requisite amount of time for that individual. There's no amount of years or days I can say, this is how long it takes. It's up to each brain to start to predict safety rather than threat. And that's where we, then we have social problem solving come in. Then we have symbolic thinking come in where one can, can do, you know, this, this ability to kind of formulate words that can, they can pin onto emotional states, physiological states in their body. Naming emotions is such a sophisticated thing to do. Many of our individuals can't even do that. So we really start in a very developmental way. That's the roadmap is looking at our physiology, looking at our social emotional development, and then keeping um, and respecting the child's individual differences. I know that might sound a little complicated, but once you get into the routine of it, it kind of, um, it becomes second nature and it's a pretty good formula that we found in my, in my clinics. Yeah. I, I really noted two things that you said, and one is like, there's a roadmap (laughs) and there really is one. And I know that when we're in the thick of it and you know, living with a really dysregulated nervous system that has had a lot of attachment trauma in, the, in their history is chaotic. It's a hard place to be. It's It impacts our own thinking brains. We can't think straight. We can't see straight. And oh. I do think that for the, well, for the families I've known for my whole career, just to know, like, even if I don't know what the roadmap is, somebody else out there says there's a roadmap. <laughs> there's there's like a little, again, just like, okay, somebody says there is one, I believe them. And when my thinking brain is a little more online, I might be able to like pull that map out myself. So I love that. uh, I think just that is so like, okay, there is a roadmap. Somebody said there there is one. I'm going to go with it. Maybe that's a mantra, you know, is the roadmap. Yeah. There is something I can do right now. I feel yeah. hopeless, chaotic, fried. Yeah. Am I going to make it to the next minute? Yeah. You know, 
maybe that's a mantra. It's like, okay, there is a roadmap. And, and I do believe that I, now I've, that I've been in practice for almost 30 years, I can say without a shadow of a doubt, yeah, there's a roadmap for yeah. every individual. I agree. And I, agree. I have helped 80 plus year olds shift their roadmaps. Yes. <laughs> so if you're thinking that, oh no, my child's 12 or, you know, 15 or 18, have we missed a window? You may have, ha- you may have um, gone through I- important times that you may not have had uh, access to that child in a certain way, but the window never closes never closes for rewiring hope for for helping a brain predict safety rather than threat and yes. that's what i love that you have a um podcast that's focused on trauma because that's really at the bottom line is helping that brain start to predict safety rather than threat and subconsciously too not just in our yes our minds right we know how important the body gets triggered so easy Yes. And um, yeah. So you may have heard that the club is open today for just a few days for new members. And I wanted to share with you what this club member said about her time in the club. This member says, I was way more successful handling a stressful situation than I would have been a year ago. And it is truly a result of the material I've learned through Robin and the club. Oh my gosh, y'all. I love, love, love hearing that. There's no way that we can promise that the stress from your kids is going to change because we're just not in control of anybody else but ourselves. But what we can do is work to change how we respond to those stressors. And that's what we do over in the club. We are open for new members from now until the 28th of April, and we would love to have you. Yeah. So the other thing I love that you said is that the part of this roadmap is some of it can go together for sure, but so many of the families that I work with are given a lot of information on how to connect, 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 connect with their kids, which is important, fantastic, like absolutely. Yeah. And for some of our kids who are living life, like you said, like in this red pathway or in this blue pathway. And in my audience typically has, hears me talk about like this watchdog brain and the possum brain. And we're talking about like on the edges of those parts mm-hmm. of, and yeah. my guess is that there's sort of an overlap here. Yeah. Like when we have kids who have had these really intense histories that are leaving them really kind of stuck almost in these other pathways, the red or the blue, it sometimes connection is continues to up the ante on the threats, right? We are, we're offering so well-intentioned and well-meaning and authentic connection because we're human and because we want to connect with our kids. And sometimes before our kids can receive connection, 
as an experience that's safe, yeah. we have to first do some work. Work's not even the right word, but just for the sake of language in these other, in these regulatory pathways. And that's so confusing because yeah. connections are part of that. <laughs> but for example, yeah. like I'm a TheraPlay therapist. I don't know if you know much about TheraPlay, but TheraPlay uh, is a very, like very face-to-face, very connection, very sensory heavy, dyadic therapeutic experience. And sometimes when I work with families, we almost have to take a step back, like before therapy almost of these sensory rich, rhythmic, repetitive, relational experiences that they are relational, but they're almost like parallel relational as opposed to this like really intense face-to-face dyadic relational. Um, and that just feels really important because for my audience to hear, because I think they can hear so often connect, 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 but in their real lives, they're like, um, well, that's not working. And actually it's seeming to make things worse. And so they spin this narrative, unfortunately, of like, I must be doing something wrong or there's something so wrong with me. My kid doesn't even want to connect with me, even though all the experts are saying connect, 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 connect. And so to hear you say that actually, even before that part of the roadmap is these physiological states. And again, we can't disentangle from connection and understand it's complicated, yeah, yeah, I just think that's so I important. That. I think it's so important. And I'm resonating with what you're saying on a personal level, because I was one of those moms. I was, a, I did my dissertation on attachment theory. I knew everything about attachment, how to be kind, how to be positive, how to be nice, how to show up. And I was, I was cocky to the point of arrogance, I think, when I had my first child, because I was like, and my mom was like, oh, you know, you're going to be the best mom because you know uh-huh. everything about attachment. Uh-huh. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and then I became a mother Yes. <laughs> and my child had regulatory issues Yes. and nobody yeah. told me. So I didn't know it's not in psychology training to look at autonomics. This was, right. well, this was quite a while ago. She was born in the late eighties. So this was before Dan Siegel was around, right. Yes. Writing about it. Um, and this was before even Dr. Uh, Porges's work was out there. So I think he came up with the idea of neuroception in 1994. So contextually, I really am resonating around with what you said, because here I was an expert in relationships and a nice person, like yeah, your listeners yeah, are, right? Dude, I'm kind, I'm sweet. I'm, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I said to her, I loved her. I, I, yes. I did everything I could, but we couldn't really connect because yeah. her physiology was unstable. And sure enough, she, this is in a baby, but we can extend it to older people. Yeah. Some of my interactions were actually sending her into distress. Yes. Not my love. I loved her beyond belief. I still do. But it was the sensory contours of yes. my voice. It was that her little body budget was shot 
uh, and I would be continuing to rock her or sing to her or, you know, um, try to reach her and help her calm her body down. And then she'd start to hiccup. And I didn't know that that was a sign, a little mild sign of distress. And then after that, maybe she would throw up and I'm like, oh my goodness, what's happening? I didn't know my well-intentioned loving efforts were sending her into distress. Yeah. So here's my, here's my, um, uh, my like uh, uh, soothing comfort for parents who are nice, kind parents like we are, right? Mm-hmm. That when we try so hard, please know it's not something you're doing wrong. Your kindness, your love, it is so important. It means so much to that child. But when we figure out that we can also understand that really where our interactions are landing in our child's nervous system aren't all our fault, that those sensory contours may be coming from, as I say, underneath the tip of the iceberg that have nothing to do with us. And once we tease all that out, like you said, Robin, we can it's, it's related to the relationship, but it's kind of a precursor. Mm-hmm. If you're not stable in your physiology, if you're getting thrown around, and you even if you look like your ventral vagal, you look like you're green on the outside, you could very well be having this tumult inside. And that neuroception is telling you you're not safe for whatever reason. This is complicated, but have patience, have hope, and seek out seek out help. Like I have had, I, all my teams have amazing people, whether they're OTs or other professions who specialize in sensory processing and helping me figure out like for this particular individual, what are those sensory supports that'll Mm -hmm. calm their nervous system? And what are those sensory supports that are triggering it? That a very simple act, uh, if you've got a child who has a team, for example, an IEP, can be really useful. Absolutely. And I also want to just even like anchor that in for the, especially the therapists and the professionals who are listening, because you kids that have behavior problems, so often somebody sends them to the therapist, right? Some of the, the, the pediatrician or the teacher or somebody says, this kid needs therapy and they go to see a mental health clinician. And so it was so valuable for me um, as a clinician. I'm not practicing clinically anymore, but when I was to be able to have just a general idea of some of these things that were outside my scope of practice, right? Like I, I don't treat sensory processing disorder. You know, there's a lots of things that will help the regulatory circuits that there's a lot of things I can do in the office. Sure. As a mental health therapist, but there's also a lot of things that were just way outside, you know, what I did. And being able to notice that, you know, I think as a professional and say to a family that, you know, I actually, I think before maybe you would benefit from working with me as a mental health clinician, let's look at some of these other physiological things that are happening with your kid. Um, and I think for mental health professionals to just get enough knowledge about some of these things that they can make good referrals is really, really important. Yeah, no, I think that's super important. And, um, and then if you want to take it a step further, uh, which is, which is what I did is that, and it, it takes, it takes quite a few years, but when you become a transdisciplinary therapist, you're not 
acting as if you are an OT, but you have yes. practical knowledge to do, to go a certain way so that I could keep it in-house with myself. And then when we really needed help, um, then that's where I really recommend um, looking at things like the uh, DIR four time, uh, yep. the Perfectum Foundation and ICDL.com who do transdisciplinary language so that mental health clinicians, OT, speech therapists, trauma therapists, uh, physical therapists and pediatricians and teachers all are using the same language on social and emotional development, which gets us back to trying to give parents a cohesive amount of advice, rather all this scattershot advice, um, which is, I think the, the main thing I wanted to do in, um, in brain body parenting is to gather all the information in one place so that parents can say, oh, that's why somebody recommended one thing and another recommended something else. Now I know what the real goal is. The real goal is to customize it to my kid's nervous system and to my own. And we can anchor in customizing our therapy or our parenting in the nervous system of that specific child, teenager, baby, toddler, whoever it is. Yes. What I love about this the most is I talk about this a lot that I want to re-empower parents, right? So instead of constantly... I get when things are really hard and I'm feeling overwhelmed and I don't know what to do. Like I start seeking information. I'm, I'm a collector of information. <laughs> so I understand that as a coping mechanism. And I've seen lot, all your books there. Uh-huh, yes. I'm a collector of information. I'll just own that. And, and that's helpful. It, it's how it, it helps to regulate me. It helps to feel, feel like, okay, there's a place I can turn. And you know, when I'm working with parents and I can say, you know, my stack of books, I'd be like, none of those authors have ever met me or my kid. Or I'll tell parents like, like our kids don't know the theory. Like they haven't been clued in to what the theory is yet. So we have to take what, you know, we can take what we learn and then apply it to the real live human that's in front of us, our kids, each other, you know, me working with parents. And I think that's one of my favorite pieces about this, this work and the work that you do as well of like really understanding just like it's, you know, going beyond behaviors and like what's underneath this, what's the physiology, what's happening? Because I think it can help parents move back into such a, a place of empowerment past here's this, you know, toolbox full of tools that I'm going to give you good luck, use them and see what happens. But here's a toolbox full of tools. And also I'm going to tell you about why they work so that as you're with your kid, you can know them and know their physiology and have some ideas and then just play in that dance of serve and return and rupture and repair and, and find each other again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, goodness, thank you so much. This has just been delightful. It's been a fantastic oh. afternoon for me. I'm so grateful for not just for your time today, but but for your life's work. Like you are changing the lives for kids and families and it matters and it's really important. So thank you so much oh. for that. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me on.
Yes. About it. <laughs> I do too. I do too, obviously. Okay. So I will make sure everybody knows how they can find your book. Um, and I assume people can find you at like Mona Delahook.com. Does that yeah, ring a bell? Web- yeah, that brings a bell. That would be my website. <laughs> Perfect. And, um, Dr. Mona Delahook at uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, okay. Mona Delahook PhD. And um, yeah, the book is available pretty much a lot of places. It's available on Amazon, of course, but um, Barnes & Noble, uh, Harper Collins, uh, independent bookstores. I've heard it's also at um, Target and maybe so a few other places. I know. So I'm excited. So, I can't. I'm, I'm beyond. I'm beyond excited. That, I'll bet that it's out there in the world. And I really, uh, I really hope parents will um, let me know uh, what yeah. you think and maybe take a read. So thanks again yes. for having me on. And is it going to be audiobook? Yes, audiobook, okay, Kindle. Great. I loved the the narrator that they chose. They did not chose, choose me uh, because they found someone better. So yeah, Aww. audio uh, and, and um, all the formats. Okay, perfect. I know my listeners love audio. Obviously, those seem to be Oh, podcasts, great. So yeah, yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, check it out on, on Amazon. Okay. Thanks Thank so you. much, Robin. Oh gosh, y'all. I'm just so, so grateful to have these opportunities to be able to introduce you to all of the professionals out in the world who are really committed to changing things for you and your kids. I know that this is a lonely, isolating journey, and I hope to remind you with each and every episode that we see you. We haven't forgotten about you, I promise. Y'all know by now, I overflow with gratitude for you, that you're here listening, that you're doing your part, whatever that looks like in changing the world for our kids, eventually their kids, and truly everyone on the planet. I'll see you back here next week. Are you ending this episode with maybe a big sigh of relief? Like, yes, finally, someone gets me and my kids. But also maybe a sense of like, okay, but now what? All right, y'all, I've got lots of possible now what's. If you want to connect with me directly, like pick my brain, have access to me almost every day, not to mention hundreds of other parents from around the world who totally get what it's like to be you, then you're going to want to join us in the club. We have monthly live events including groups for siblings of dysregulated kids, a huge video library with something like 80 or 90 videos, plus transcripts and certificates of completion. Plus, of course, a very active forum that I'm participating in every single day. We open for new members periodically. So go check robingobel.com slash the club. If we aren't open now, You can put yourself on the waiting list and I'll let you know the moment we open for new members. That's robingobel.com slash the club. Now, if you're a professional and you want to strengthen your capacity to work with the families of kids with big baffling behaviors and vulnerable nervous systems, plus use all of my materials, including a 12-module course that follows raising kids with big baffling behaviors, plus be included in an online searchable directory 
so families all over the world could find you, then you're looking for Being With, which is my year-long immersive training program that runs January through December. So you'll want to go to robingobel.com slash beingwith, read all about it. And if you're interested, put yourself on that waiting list too. Now, if you just maybe need a little extra connection and co-regulation, but don't feel like you need to join the club, then you can just keep listening to my podcast. Or you could go subscribe to my Start Here podcast, and that'll give you 10 episodes in order that will take you through cultivating a great foundation of parenting with regulation, connection, and felt safety. That's at robingobel.com slash start here. You have to go there. You can't just find it in your podcast app. Or you could get yourself a copy of Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors, paper book, audio book, ebook. You can get that anywhere books are sold. Or you could just head to my website, download one of my very many free resources. I keep them all really easy to access at robingobel.com slash free resources. Webinars, masterclasses, ebooks, infographics, all sorts of stuff. Go check it out. See what of those things could be supportive of you or maybe to the other adults in your life who are helping support you and your child. There are just so many ways that you and I could be more connected and you can get the amount of co-regulation and support that you need. If it feels like a lot to remember, all you have to do is go to robingobel.com and take your time clicking around, seeing what I got there. I am so, so glad you and I are connected now. And I can't wait to be with you again soon in our next episode of The Baffling Behavior Show. Bye-bye, y'all.